the great I am. In William Shakespeare's immortal classic, Romeo and Juliet, we find these words from Act 2, Scene 2, Line 33. O Romeo, Romeo, wherefore art thou Romeo? Deny thy father and refuse thy name. Or if thou wilt not, be but sworn, my love, and I'll no longer be a Capulet. Then in line 43 we read, What's in a name? That which we call a rose by any other name would smell as sweet. So Juliet is calling upon Romeo, Romeo to deny his father and refuse his father's name, Montague, because she will give her name, Capulet, up for him for love. In line 43, she is saying, if you give up the name Montague, you'll still be Romeo. And, and when I read this, it, 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 the connection was made. Do you realize that Satan comes to countless people every minute of every day in every part of the world and whispers, deny thy father and refuse thy name. Why? Because he knows that you and I were made in the image of God and we have God's DNA flowing in our bones. The devil says, what's in a name? That which we call God by any other name would be the same. But it's not. Satan proclaims denied Christ and refuse his name as Christian. And you can worship any God you want because all religions lead to the same place, which is a blatant lie that leads to the pits of hell. God has a name, and his name is Jehovah, and he's the only true God. Jean-Jacques Rousseau, French philosopher, wrote in 1700, I shall always maintain that whoso says in his heart there is no God, while he takes the name of God upon his lips as either a liar or a madman, and I concur. We've been looking at the names of the one true God. We've explored Elohim, describes the Trinity together, the three-in-one divine harmony. Adonai, God the Father as our master, one whom we serve because we love him. What's in a name? The names of God. All of our hope, our purpose, our very reason for living our, and, and breathing and dying. His names encapsulate all the questions that a human mind can ever ask. It answers the question where we came from, where we're going, and what our purpose here is on earth. When God gave Jacob a vision of a ladder extended from earth to heaven, Jacob couldn't fully grasp. Living under the desert stars, Jacob dreamed that he saw Elohim, a transcendent one, the one who existed outside of the physical universe in Genesis 28. But in contrast, it makes that switch. The name Jehovah speaks of the aspect of God's character that is personal rather than transistent. He's not away in some other galaxy, in some other far removed place. He is here within us, with us. And that is the point that Jehovah speaks of. It's God's character that is personal. And in this personal name, God is reachable. He chose to be reachable. He came down into human world, into our world, and, and come to these poor hearts to take up residence in us. Jehovah emphasizes the relationship of God to man, and more particularly the relationship to God to Israel. The King James Version of the Bible translates Jehovah with the English word Lord using capital letters to distinguish it from Adonai Lord, which is capital L, lowercase o-r-d. Jehovah is capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D to emphasize the power in that name. The name is used over 6,000 times in the Old Testament. Since Jehovah is first referred to in Genesis 2-4, there is no question that the patriarchs knew and used the name Jehovah, though its full significance was not revealed to them yet. Genesis 2-4 says, 
This is the account of the creation of the heavens and the earth. When the Lord God, Jehovah, made the earth and the heavens. Moses was first to have the meaning of Jehovah fully explained to him at this conversation that took place at the burning bush. Moses is, is, is like us in, in a lot of different ways because God came to him and he had something for him to do. And we who study the Bible and you that have been in church, you know what, what that important thing that he was wanted him to do. He wanted to bring his children out of Israel. But Moses didn't want to do it. How many of us on a daily basis in our lives, the Holy Spirit comes to us and we can try to deny the Holy Spirit, but we know that it's him talking to us. And he desires us to do something, to see somebody, to text somebody, to call somebody, maybe give a word of encouragement, maybe buy somebody a meal. Who knows what that is? But we know when God comes to us and we don't want to do it. It sounds familiar. So what did Moses do? He started making excuses. As Swindoll said, an excuse is a lie wrapped in the skin of reason. And that's what Moses, man, I can't do this, Lord. I can't talk. I can't do this. But God called on him, got his attention. God said, Moses, in verse 4. And Moses said, here I am. I know in the Prince of Egypt, that, that animated movie, it, the voice of God was deep and rumbling. But I, and Moses heard it with his own ears. And I, I think it was a voice that, that I, have you ever hear, wanted to hear the voice of God? Why? Well, but we have different reasons why we want to hear it. If I'd hear the voice of God, I, I wouldn't want him reprimanding me and telling me that I'm off base and I need to do this or that or whatever. I want the voice of God to say, man, Eddie, you are a good boy. <laughs> You're doing a fine job. That, that, if I want, but you don't get to pick what you hear. Moses heard this in chapter 3 of Exodus. Then he said, that is God speaking. I am the God of your ancestors. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. When Moses heard this, he hid his face in his hands because he was afraid to look at God. There, were, there was fear there. I, I wonder sometimes if we have tried to extract that out of our walk with Christ. Man, I don't like fear. I don't like being afraid. But what should be interjected is, in that fear is another word that I say is awe, that we are in the presence of God Almighty. It's just not an order coming from somebody else. This is coming from the throne room of heaven. So pay attention. Verse 7, then the Lord told him, you can be sure I have seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cries for deliverance from their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own good and spacious land. It is a land flowing with milk and honey, the land where the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Pezzarites, Hivites, and Jebusites live, and all those other heights that's there. They are all those words. But the cries of the people of Israel have reached me, and I have seen how the Egyptians have oppressed them with heavy tasks. Now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You will lead my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Verse 11. But who am I? Who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Moses asked God, how can you expect me to lead the Israelites out of Egypt? Then God told him, I will be with you. And that should have been enough, but 
And this will serve as proof that I have sent you. When you have brought the Israelites out of Egypt, you will return here to worship God at this very mountain. Instead of saying, okay, Lord, I'll do it, verse 13, but Moses protested. If I go to the people of Israel and tell them the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they won't believe me. They will ask, which God are you talking about? What's his name? Then what should I tell them? And God replied, I am the one who, answer, who always is. Just tell them, I am has sent me to you. God also said, tell them the Lord, the God of your ancestors, God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This will be my name forever. It has always been my name, and it will be used throughout all generations. Verse 14, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Well, Moses reluctantly went back to Pharaoh, but he found himself under terrific personal pressure. Had he heard God right? Is this really what he wanted him to do? Has that ever happened to you? God asks us to do things that we're not real comfortable with sometimes, whether it's, whether it's, 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 it's giving a testimony or helping somebody out doing something, or maybe even God has called you to start a small group or whatever and said, man, I'm not qualified. Well, if God qualifies you, you're qualified for anything, as far as I'm concerned. But God himself would become personally involved and bring the Israelites out of Egypt. And that is what Jehovah is all about. It can mean I am what I am. I will be what I tell I will be. I am here for you, or I will be there as I am here. So over and over, God assured his people that he would be with them that he would redeem that hit, that he would deliver them. Jehovah also had to do with covenant and a promise to the people. You come to Passover, Exodus 12. Jehovah's used 12 times. The Lord was telling man he is a personal living being, fulfilling for the people of Israel the promises made to their fathers. He is, as his name suggests, an unchanging God. He cannot become better because he is perfect. He cannot deteriorate for the very same reason, nor can he renege on any of his promises he has made to his creation, to his people. And that promise is, I'll mend what is broken if you let me. I'll mend any relationship you've got if you let me. I'll mend your marriage if you let me. I'll mend that addiction if you let me. But that is the point is in that whole concept that we have to allow him to do that and be willing to do what he asks us to do. Another concept involved in the name of Jehovah is that of revelation. He's a revealer, not a concealer. The name reveals that God is first a God of righteousness. We see that with Cain and Abel. Abel brought the right sacrifice, and he knew that he was wrong, and he needed to do something about it, that he was sorry for his sins. The hint of God's righteousness is in the story of Noah as well. He said, bring two creatures of every kind with the power to create a new being. They were drawn into the ark where Noah took them in. And Noah also was instructed to take on board seven clean creatures of many types to use as sacrifices. There always had to be a payment for sin. Jehovah, the holy God, wants us to know that he is deeply offended by our sin. I, that should help us in life, don't you think? We blow it off sometimes. That'll be all right. God will forgive me. But we've got to understand that he is deeply offended. 
by my sin, your sin, and the sin of the whole world because God is a God of righteousness. He has to do the right thing and judge unrighteousness. Having judged us, judged us, he has to tell us that we're guilty and we deserve to die, every one of us. Nobody can escape. But God is not only a God of righteousness and holiness, he's also a God of love. And it was this love that led him to offer himself as a substitute for our sin. 2 Corinthians 5, 19, God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And as we read the Bible, we find that compound names of God are used in connection with places and incidents. And in this case of Jehovah Jireh, when God wanted to make a spatial revelation of himself as meeting human need, he used the name Jehovah. The faithful of Israel, fully understanding this spatial relationship that was theirs, cried often, O Lord, our God, or Jehovah, thou art our Elohim. This name was so holy to the Israelites that you could not speak it. If you did, you'd be accused of blasphemy and put to death. Leviticus 24, 14. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine on the face of this earth today, everybody that took God's name in vain, if they were struck dead, be a mass murder on this planet every day. And that's that name of God was that powerful to the Jews, to the Israelites. Even in Jewish synagogues today, the name Jehovah cannot be spoken. They use the word Adonai, which is master. They don't speak it. The Jewish scribes use the following process for creating copies of the Torah, which is the Pentateuch. It's the first five Bible books of the Bible. Now, in Judaism, in the faith of the Israelites, in the Jews, in the faith of Muslims, they will, they will go with us as far as followers of Christ, the first five books. But it's after that fifth book that they split from us and go their own way. But this is what was important. So you think about these faiths that have come out of these first five books, which is Judaism, uh, Christianity, and, and the Muslim faith. So when these scribes would dictate that from the original manuscripts, they could use only clean animal skins both to write on and even to bind manuscripts. This name was that holy. Each column of writing could have no less than 48 and no more than 60 lines. The ink must be black and of a spatial recipe. They must say each word aloud while they were writing. They must wipe the pen and wash their entire bodies before writing the most holy name of God, which is Jehovah, Yahweh, every time they wrote it. And some would use a new pen to write Yahweh, and then they would discard that pen or burn it because it, you couldn't, you, it wasn't worthy to write that name again. What would that mean in our lives if, if we held God in that high regard. So the compound names owe something of their significance to the name Jehovah itself. Through the revelation of his names, men already knew that God was the eternal, self-existent one. The God of revelation, the moral and spiritual attributes, holiness, righteousness, and of love. Most of the compound names portray Jehovah in some sort of his character as meeting human needs as he came to earth, as he helped people. Genesis 22 describes the biggest crisis of Abraham's life. God's name El Shaddai meant the God that could overcome nature. So in the life of Abraham and Sarah, as we all know, that they were well past 
childbearing age, both of them actually. But God promised that through Abraham, his seed would be blessed and bless the whole world. So remember last week, we talked about the three uh, messengers from God that came and told Abraham, Abraham this story, and it, and it came to pass, and they waited all this time for this child, and finally Isaac was born into their family. And God came to Abraham, and he gave him this message. Abraham, I want you to take that boy, and I want you to go to Mount Moriah and take some wood for the offering. I don't want you to sacrifice him for me. Wow. The enormity of that thought sinking in. There's a lot of times in our life that God asks us to do something minute. Ah, Lord, I'm too busy or I can't do this or I can't do that. But this, this clip really kind of brings it out. It's askewed a little bit. Sarah's in it, and I don't, I, I don't know if she ran out of the camp. You know how mom's hearts are. Did Sarah really know what was going on on the mountain? And if she did, what a, what a, what a crushing blow that would have been to her that in her 90s she had a baby, and now she wanted to raise this boy, and this happened. Let's watch. No, mistress. in God.
been a sacrifice. Oh my boy, my boy, my boy. <laughs> think Abraham's relationship with God changed after that? Abraham's obedience and faith should astound us. Abraham's reply to his son, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, I said. Jehovah will provide, and he did. Always has, always will. Here's the thing that's hardest for us. We who have been raised and live in the lap of luxury, our prized possessions would, would, would mean a little different than those in, in Haiti uh, when you see uh, things that you probably won't see here. But they don't have a lot to give up. And this last hurricane just... West End of the Island just wiped it out. What will you give up for God if he asks? Maybe he's already asking you. You're fighting him a little bit. Man, Lord, I don't want to do that. I don't want to change jobs. I don't want to move. I don't want to get up in front of people. I don't want to go out this evening and do this and that and the other. I just want to stay right here. I was at a pastor's keeper, a pastor or promise keepers uh, conference in Minneapolis, St. Paul, and Charles Swindoll come out when it's his time to talk on this giant stage, and <laughs> he's pushing a casket. He pushes this empty casket here, and he opens her up, and there's no body in it. And this was his sermon topic. And, and there was thousands upon thousands of men there. And he said, uh, where's your heart at this morning? What, what are you most fond of? What, are you, what, would you, what would you give up for your family or to serve Christ? And, and he said, these things I'm going to bring out now aren't wrong in themselves, but if these become something that, that keeps you away from home or whatever constantly... Tim, I didn't have you in mind when I was talking about shotguns, but anyhow, <laughs> he brought this shotgun out. He cocked it, you know. He didn't fire it or whatever, and he laid that in that casket. And every time he'd bring out an item, these, most of these men in the crowd would just groan. He brought out fishing poles. He brought out golf clubs, brought out a baseball bat, tennis rackets, you name it. And he, he said, these items aren't evil in themselves, but... Do they keep you from following God, which made a great point. I'm sure glad he didn't bring out a big sack of cheeseburgers or something. That really worked on me. But uh, There's things in life we need to give up, and myself included. But boy, it, it, it's tough for us to do that. Picture this scene again in your mind. In that clip, you didn't hear the angel's voice. And Abraham took the knife and lifted it up to kill his son as a sacrifice to the Lord. And at that moment, 
The angels of the Lord shouted to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Yes, he answered, I'm listening. Lay down that knife, the angel said. Do not hurt the boy in any way, for now I know that you truly fear God. Wow. What will God have to do in your life to know that you truly fear God? What will have to transpire? What, will, what events will come to pass that you finally, because above anything else in your life, he wants your full devotion and your obedience? Well, I have to tell you, I probably don't fear him as enough as I should. But I know that you truly fear God. How does God see your game plan, your life plan on your board, your storyboard? Is that fear which is not quaking in your boots fear, but in awe of God, knowing that everything you do has consequences? He goes on to say, you have not withheld even your beloved son from me. Then Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught by its horns in a bush. So he took the ram and sacrifices as a burnt offering on the altar in place of his son. Abraham named the place the Lord will provide, Jehovah Jireh. Abraham named that place. This name was now become a proverb on the mountains of the Lord, it will be provided. Well, this points to another time on down the road. Years later, many years later, same mountain, Jesus on a cross for our sin, but God didn't stay the executioner's hand. It come to pass. And so when we see pictures like this, which I think are gruesome, and you know why they're so gruesome to me? Because I don't see your sin on Jesus. I see mine. It's my sin made him look like that, that caused him that pain, and that's regrettable to me. Jesus, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, is the one the Father provided as a substitute. Can you say thank you this morning? Can you mouth that out of your mouth audibly? Can you say thank you, God? Can you say it? Thank him for giving, your, giving life to you, and hopefully you can thank him by turning your life over to him this morning. Keep this thankfulness going this Advent season and see it as a season of giving and blessing others in the name of Christ. And thank Jehovah for always providing for us. And I want to close with this clip about the names of God. Before I created the heavens and the earth, I was. When the earth and everything in it passes away, I will be. I hold the universe together from the smallest atom to the greatest galaxy.
it all is in my hands. The sun is hidden in my shadow. I have set the earth on its foundations, and I rest my feet upon it. I stir the waters of the oceans with my fingers and shake the mountains with my breath. I am entirely holy and completely other. There are none before me and none like me who can question what I have done or what I will do. My kingdom is eternal and shall exist forevermore. I am the ruler over the kings of the earth. I am the prince of peace. I am the king of kings, the righteous king, the king of the Jews, the king of glory, the king of the ages, the king of heaven, and I am the Lord of lords. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I am Jehovah Jireh, I will provide. I am Jehovah Rapha, I will heal. I am Jehovah Mekadesh, I will sanctify. I am Jehovah Rohi, I am your shepherd. I am the most high God, your deliverer, your redeemer and savior. I am your shield and your strength and your defender, the eternal and everlasting God. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Before me, there was no God formed, neither shall there be after me. I, even I, am the Lord, and beside me there is no Savior. Beside me there is no God. Angels and heavenly beings worship me upon my throne, and I will not give my glory unto another. I will not share my creation. I am a jealous God, and a consuming fire. I am the commander of the heaven's armies, and before me kingdoms crumble and rulers kneel. I am your harbor in the tempest. I am safety for the tempted and tried. I have come to set the captives free, to strengthen the weak, to heal the lame, to cause the blind to see. I have come to give you life and breath to breathe. I have come that you might know me. I have come that you might know my limitless love and endless goodness, my measureless mercy and never-ending grace. My forgiveness knows no boundaries, and my acceptance sees no imperfections, nor color, nor race, nor wealth, nor poverty. In me you are made clean, and through me you are sanctified. I am indescribable, incomprehensible, irresistible, and invincible. The heavens cannot contain my glory, death cannot consume me, life cannot last me all knees will bow before me and at my name every tongue will confess every tongue will confess that I am the great I am every tongue will confess that I am the God of gods